welcome to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I am your host, Sean Fitzpatrick, and we are here telling you amazing hope-filled stories from the world of Hope is Alive Ministries. As the media marketing coordinator of Hope is Alive, and uh, as well as a HIA alumni, I have had the pleasure of witnessing so many miracles over the last few years, and it is my honor to be here hosting the Hope Dealers Podcast. You know, with over 20 sober living mentoring homes spread across the country, there are always so many miracles and stories taking place in our world. And as Hope Dealers, we love sharing those stories with those who need to hear them the most. You know, whether you're a resident of the Hope is Alive program, maybe you're a family member of one of our residents. Maybe you're a current or future supporter of HIA, or most importantly, if you're the mom or dad of someone struggling with addiction, our hope is that these stories will bring you strength and hope in your journey. All right. Well, welcome back to the Hope Dealers podcast. Again, my name is Sean Fitzpatrick. Here we are. And uh, so excited to be back today. It's been a great uh, last few episodes of some amazing stories. But today we are joined by my very good friend, Mr. Ethan Springle. How are you, sir? I'm good. And yourself? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad you're here, man. Ethan is joining us all the way from the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. North Kakalaki, representing. (laughs) That's good. I'm going to have to write that one down. Um, so Ethan, uh, just to give our viewers a little background, uh, what have you been doing here in Oklahoma city? I've been attending a six week program manager boot camp. Okay. What's that? Uh, well, we got to learn the ins and outs being a program manager of how to run our own house, just, you know, to, um, help guide other residents and knuckleheads into sobriety and then walks of life. So to join the Help Us Alive team, correct? Absolutely. Wow. That's so awesome. Well, and and you had to come all the way from North Carolina and live in Oklahoma City for six weeks. How was that? Uh, at first, it felt a little weird because uh, almost like re-entering the program again. I f- flew out here and then um, everybody around the house felt like they're kind of walking on eggshells. You know, I was the new guy in the house. So it was like, who is this guy? Is he like a sense of authority? But at the end of the day, I'm just another resident like them. Sure. Sure. Great way to look at it. Well, uh, just like, you know, the last few guests we've had on here, you, like many others, you've got a great story that brings you here. Thank you. Right. Uh, I know that coming on the Hope is Alive team is obviously a major accomplishment. We're super proud of you, by the way. But in order to get to that place, there's a story that comes first Mm -hmm. with you uh, in the world of addiction. So take me back. uh, When did this all start for you? Uh, well, I was born in North Carolina, grew, born and raised, grew, grew up on the Crystal Coast, uh, Beaufort specifically, small little beach town. Yeah. Um, hmm. Really, the first time I'd ever tried a, tried a drug, I was nine years old. My cousin offered me marijuana. So that kind of opened me up to the, um, the opportunity or the mentality that like my world around me is falling apart, but I can numb it and make it okay with changing, altering my state of mind. Yeah. And it um, just kind of progressed from there. You know, the the more I want more mentality just, you know, took off and went. Uh, my parents were going through a divorce. So then I just, you know, trying to numb the pain within myself. When did your parents get divorced? Uh, they started when I was about five and okay. then ended at nine. Just finally called it quits. So, so at nine years old, you're steady trying out drugs roughly yeah yeah smoking pot with my cousins you know they're a couple years older than me so i felt like i was the cool kid being accepted you know skating around town with them being high um 12 13 was the first time i'd ever tried alcohol again at the same cousin's house you know we're skating around 
and they had a, um, a handle of vodka that I was like, okay, well, if they're doing it, I, I'm not going to be a wimp or anything. I'm going right. to sit in with it as well. And it uh, just kind of progressed from there. Jeez. And so do your parents know this is going on or are you just kind of keeping, they probably have no idea, right? Not at the time, no. Uh, growing up throughout their divorce, I'd been moved around Bunch of different houses, yeah. About five or six houses, family, friends, different wow. members within a year. Wow. Um, so they knew I was a rowdy kid that they really didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. So like they never sent me off to boarding schools or anything like that, but they would just you know he's too much for me right now. Pass him off to you, and that's so just, just kind of how kind of pinballed right, just back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's tough, man. Um, <clears throat> so. What was life like, you know, as you got a little older into your teens and all that? Was it just much of the same? Uh, just about the same, yeah. I got into high school, and uh, my mom was like, you know, the one thing that, like, you're going to do in school, I don't care what it is, but you're going to do sports. So I took on to swimming, just being at the coast. Like, we go to the beach all the time. So I was like, yeah. if any sport's going to be really the easiest, it's going to be swimming. But I didn't realize that was going to be 5 a.m. practices, after-school practices, like a lot of my time was taken up with swimming. So it was a good foundation, sure. really good foundation for me. But the, the but drugs were still there, weren't they? Absolutely. Um, you know, I 15, 16 starting to work, get my own money, my own like means of getting around that. Um, I was hanging, hanging out at a restaurant with a bunch of people, you know, w much older than myself. And I, again, wanted to feel accepted. Yeah. So I'd go over after, after hours, they closed down. And that's really when I was introduced to uh, opiates, specifically um, okay. codeine. Um, so I, you know, I felt like I was kind of on top of the world at that point. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't, and I don't have children at this point, but I know I was 16 when I got my first job. Um, and it doesn't seem like, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of 16 year olds that are forced to work immediately anymore. Um, yeah. and you have to wonder if part of that is just because a lot of us end up falling in with some, you know, different crowd. I don't want to say tough crowds cause that's not always the case, but different crowds, uh, working at such a young age and, and just wanting to feel accepted. Um, what happens after high school? Um, I was supposed, uh, I was supposed to go to college for swimming, go upstate, um, mm -hmm. but that ended up falling through about three weeks before I graduated. I tore a shoulder muscle. So then I was getting prescribed a lot of pain pills for it. So then it just turned into like, okay, well, my shoulder's still hurting doctor. I need more. Yeah. Need a new script. And I would just turn around and sell them, you know? Oh, and, okay. And then, um, ended up running with the wrong crowd, making wrong decisions. And, uh, we had the bright idea to rob a local fisherman. Um, it ended up not going as smoothly as we thought. Um, so that's when I saw myself in the first legal trouble I had in 2017, March of 2017. 2017. And just to remind me and our viewers, how old are you now? 24. 24. Okay. Okay. So you get in your first legal trouble. Um, all the while, though the substance is still running your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think at that point it was just then starting to get a grip on me. Okay. More than, more than ever. So before it was maybe just a, an escape mm -hmm. a recreation thing. Um, but then it takes over and, you know, listeners, I want y'all to hear that because that is something that is so, so common in our world. It starts off as just something fun. 
It's just mm-hmm. recreation. It's an escape or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's different for everybody, but eventually it gets its grips in us. And sometimes we're, you know, 29 when it happens and sometimes we're 17 when it happens. Dang man. So, um, no college. No, no, no college. Okay. And so you get in, you know, legal trouble for the first time, like you just said, but is it, where does it go from there? Does it just spiral or are you just kind of, uh, for a little while I was put on probation. Um, it took about six, seven months for my case finally to go to court. And then in that while, and even afterwards I was running around town selling cocaine, getting it for one price, selling sure. it, just trying to pay off my legal fees, just feeling like, you know, all these people at the bars like me, anytime I walk into the room, like everybody's, Hey Ethan, what's going on? Yes. Knowing I'm underage, but they still will sneak me drinks. So like made yeah. me feel, you know, accepted in my town. Yeah, I know that, uh, I mean, for me, when I didn't graduate high school and didn't go to college, um, by extension, I was the, it was the same thing. It was a lot of underage drinking, and I remember I felt the same way of, you know, that, that feeling of acceptance and people liking you and that affirmation you got when you walked into a bar and everyone was so nice to you and fed you drinks, even though they knew you weren't 21. Um, and we kind of start to feel like that's what we're good at. Yeah. Like, this is what we're here for. Yeah, I had the mentality of, like, here for a good time, not a long time. Right. And, like, af- about after that, I was put on probation. Um, then a guy in the town uh, named Jeff Green, he gave me a sailboat. And was like, hey, you know, if you're going to, if you want to do this, you want a place to stay. Because at that time, my mom was just fed up with me. Okay. She she was over it. Cause I, the uh, island I grew, grew up on, shouts out the Harkers Island. About four and a half, five miles wide. So, I mean, everybody knows everybody. Right. Um, so it came to the point that, you know, my, what the actions I did reflected back on her. So she, um, you know, she was over with it, kicked me out. You know, I'm living on the streets, really crashing at one friend's house, crashing at my cousins, you know, trying not to overstay my welcome. But at the same point, needing a place to stay within town of the jobs that I worked at. Yeah. Um, developed from there. And then my friend Jeff gave me a sailboat and was like, listen, if you're going to be staying on a sailboat, you need to be sober. Cause like this, it's no joke, you know, living on the water, having to taxi back and forth. Yeah. Anything can happen. Um, so I was like, okay, well if he's going to give me the sailboat. Then like, he's not going to know if I'm getting loaded out on the sailboat. You know, he can bright mentality of a 19, 20 year old at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would just take all my drugs and any alcohol I could get back to the boat. It's like, you know, he doesn't have any cameras or anything on it. So how is he going to know? But, you know, if, over time it was showing, you know, it may not show it physically, but six months down the road, you see myself like a skeleton of what I was that it like, he would only see me every now and then, but he could tell what yeah. was going on. Um, in 2018, September 2018, it's just about four years ago, I've had it on memories. Uh, Hurricane Florence devastated North Carolina. Yes. And, I mean, completely wiped it out. Um, and the sailboat that he gave me was wiped out on the shore. So, like, I was about a two, three-week period back to couch surfing, living with different people. And then um had another friend named Pax that he lent, lent me his sailboat that I currently have now. So it went, you know, back to living on the sailboat. He gave me the same kind of spiel of like, if you're going to live on this boat, you know, you got to be sober. I was like, well, it, he won't know if I'm going around 
and getting loaded on the boat versus in town. Because anybody in town could tell them. So everybody's trying to help you out, um, but they all just want you to be sober. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they wanted me to uh, be sober because they could see, I guess, some potential I had within me. Sure. That I couldn't see within myself. But, you know, I wanted to wanted to get high at the end of the day. Wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the next part of this story. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsors, and we will be right back. This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast has been brought to you by Finding Hope Support Groups. Finding Hope is a support group for loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Finding Hope Support Groups currently has 40 meetings across the country. To find out more, visit findinghope.today. All right. So for two years, you said you've been living on and off of sailboats. Yeah. Of people in the area. But the one stipulation is they want you to be sober. And you're not being sober. No, absolutely not. Okay. I had the mentality that like, if I can uh, learn how to do this drunk, then like, it'll be no problem doing it sober. So it, um, that kind of took the mentality of what I had, you know, if I can master something while, um, while drunk or high, then like, it'll be, it'll be a breeze. Sure. And that was the exact opposite. Cause it's, uh, the one time that I've really felt the hand of God reaching out to me. You're moving a multiple thousand pound vessel by the sheer force of wind. So like anything can go wrong at any point in time. So like didn't really need to be as drunk or high during it, but, uh, I was, unfortunately. Yeah. And thankfully, there was no accidents or anything like that. Yeah. So how does that come to a head? Did they eventually just find out that you've been... Getting- uh, not exactly, no. Um, going into uh, 2019, I, um friend of mine told me about an opportunity to get an apartment uh, right in the middle of town. So instead of still living on my sailboat, I moved into an apartment like right in the dab dab center downtown Beaufort. Um, so, I mean, I'm walking distance from 13, 14 bars at like, it was nothing really for me to pop in, take a shot, pop back over to the apartment or vice versa. Gotcha. Take me through the next little while, um, of your journey that eventually brings you to the doors of hope is alive. Yeah. So, um, I, like I said, I was in the apartment, um, throughout 2019. Then, um, Got into a relationship, which, like most of us do, we uh, neglect our relationships for drugs and alcohol, that it uh, wasn't the healthiest, and a lot of it was on my part. Um, yeah. COVID happened, so then we're kind of stuck within this apartment. Uh, rest is all, but my landlord had passed away, so that was an opportunity for me and my girlfriend at the time to break things off, move out of our apartment. Mm-hmm. Um my mom saw that it was, you know, not the best thing for me to move back onto my boat. So she offered me to uh, move back in with her. And then um, just still, you know, running rampant. She, she said I could live with her under the stipulation again that I was going to stay sober. And I was like, well. And how old are you at this time? Uh, 23. 23 at this point. Yeah. Gotcha. So it was 2020, the end of 2020 when I moved back in with her. Going into 2021, um, worked a couple different jobs, building docks, uh, back and forth through the same contractor that thankfully he, uh, he'd bring me back time and time again. 
And then um, just going into 2022, you know, I'm running reckless. Just you can't really tell me anything. Um, yeah. That uh, there in 2021, the tail end of it, I had the opportunity go up to Chicago, go to Connecticut, help my friend bring his sailboat down to North Carolina that I like everything I had learned about sailing actually put it into use. Wow. And it, uh, it came, came full circle really for me that it was all the knowledge I had learned. I was actually able to put it into practical application. And you know, the meanwhile, addiction's sitting, sitting right there with us. Yeah. Um, there, I don't think there was ever a sober point throughout that trip that it, um, you know, eventually in November of 2021, I had to get off the boat in uh, Ocean City, Maryland, come back to see my grandmother. Unfortunately, but she had passed away. I was able to see her just in time before that happened. Um, and then it just, you know, my depression and, and uh, addiction just kind of took over from there. Yeah. Going into uh, December, fortunately, um, there was a girl that I had started seeing, hanging out with, that uh, I had overdosed with her. That just, you know, rolling, rolling the dice and I rolled a 20. Yeah. And it just, um, it just wasn't a wake up call for me really. You know, it, um, to a lot of people, it never is going into uh January, uh, me and a coworker of mine were, you know, fudging our hours saying that we showed up at seven, eight AM when really we didn't show up till 10 or 11 <laughs> saying that we left at four or five when really like we left at three, three thirty. Yeah. And you know, it's taking lunch breaks, hour and a half, two hours long, going to the liquor store that like, you know, we were supposed to be good influences on each other, but addiction took over that. Right. As it will. Yeah. And uh, he had gotten into a little bit of, I wouldn't say legal trouble, but he got into some trouble about two weeks before me, before I did. And then um, I'm like, you know what? Hold my beer, bud. And then uh, I had the bright idea doing whippets while driving those little nitrous charges. Yep. And uh, ran off into the road or ran off the road and um, smack dab into a crate myrtle tree at 45 miles an hour. Jeez. Yeah. So that was a real like come to Jesus meeting right there. Yeah. Um, I came to the entire front front glass completely spider webbed accordion style was the uh, the hood. And just not a scratch on me. It it was truly an act of God. Three days prior to that, my mom was really, really fed up with what was going on. Um, She's at the verge of kicking me out, and she just threw her hands up to God and prayed to, you know, Lord, whatever you're going to make, whatever you're going to do, make it as painless as possible on me. And then, you know, three days later, I get into my wreck, um, told, you know, Mr. Springle, put your hands behind your back. Yep. Following that, going into jail and sitting in there, it was just like, I remember looking up at the the metal mirror of like, man, like I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be like anything else other than like sure, being in anything jail. but sitting in jail. Yeah. And like I was blaming everybody else for my actions of, oh, well, you know, if KP hadn't bought the whippets then I wouldn't have them or, yeah. you know, oh, if so-and-so hadn't told me not to do whippets while driving, then... You know, but reality was it was it was on me. Yeah, but in the moment, it's it's uh, very common for us to feel like it's not our fault. Absolutely, blame absolutely. Anybody else? You know, I was putting blame putting blame on everybody else, and then um, finally I was able to make enough phone calls. I had the money in my wallet to bail myself out, but you know, I'd call my mom. Hey, I've got the money for my bail. Can you just sign for me? Click. 
I'd call a coworker of mine. Hey, I've got the money on me to bail myself out. Can you just sign for me? Click. Click, yeah. And then you know, it was about five, six people until finally I called my uncle and was like, I've got the money on me. Like, I just need you to sign for me. And he, you know, he did. Sure. Took that leap of faith. Um, but he told me, you know, you got to stay sober. I don't care what you do, what links you go to. Yeah. You got to stay sober. Because he saw his own son, my, my cousin, is facing about eight to ten years now because yeah. he had a head-on collision. So he didn't want to see me as well continue down this road and you know unfortunately my cousin's got to serve this time because mm-hmm. he he took a man's life yeah thankfully enough that, that i wasn't injured nobody else was injured yeah absolutely um, thank god yeah so it um you know it was that that definitely of like staring myself in the mirror moment of like you know it's life's about to get really hard right now but it's all about how how i take it um in 2021 i had worked a dock building job so I had worked with Travis McClure, shouts out. And um, Travis McClure, for those who don't know, is also a recent graduate of our um, program manager boot camp. Um, and he'll be heading out to North Carolina pretty soon to take over that market. But continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had worked building docks with Travis on his crew. So I knew he was the only person I really knew that was plugged in within the recovery scene back home. So I was sitting at my mom's house and, you know, even she didn't want me there, but she was like, you know, it's a winter storm, you know, it's like snowing, icing outside. So like, yeah, you're going to stay here for the night and then you got to go. Um, called Travis. of like, hey, man, you know, this is a situation. I got into a wreck, just got out of jail. Like, I'm trying to figure something out. Like, what would you what would you recommend? And that's uh, it's when Hope is Live came into the picture. He's like, man. This here's a sober living, you know, right down the road from your mom's house. Um, I'm going to send you this link. He failed to tell me that they're faith based, which I feel like if he'd have told me, absolutely not. Like I was playing God, (laughs) my own aspects of life. Yeah. Um, So I fill out the application. I get a call from Brian Shaw, get a call from Christy Martin, you know, doing the interview process. And Travis tells me, you know, you got to go to a detox before they'll let you in there. And I'm like, man. I'm not that bad off, am I? And then I like sitting there and while I was in detox, um, going over just like how much I was spending on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. That's what a six, $700 a week habit. Wow. That like I'd give my mom a hundred dollars just to cover my quote unquote rent (laughs) and then enough money for me to like pay for gas. And then the rest of it was going strictly to drugs and alcohol. And it was baffling to me now looking back at it. That how much it truly like ruled my life and had a control over me. Um, so fast forward, I'm in, in detox and um, they're making us right. You know, if we were to die when we overdosed or any traumatic event in our life, you know, what would our memoirs or note be? And um, the only thing I wrote on the page was, it's okay, world. I didn't like you either. <laughs> Wow. So, you know, I was, I was at that <laughs> mentality, uh, just fed up with everything, still like failing to realize that like everything that happened in my life was it's because of my actions, you know? Well, there's a, there's that common denominator, right? You know, we, um, I was talking about this a couple episodes ago. Um, all this stuff starts going wrong for us, mm-hmm. right? And it keeps happening over and over and over. And we trick ourselves into thinking, well, 
I'm just having a run of bad luck yeah. or I can't catch a break or said that many of times the world has it out for me <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, but we never stop to think, Oh, there's this common denominator myself uh, called substance. Mm-hmm. Like there it is. Um, and it's kind of shocking when we kind of do finally realize that. And that's where a lot of those feelings of, you know, shame and guilt come in. But, um, you know, if you're out there listening and this is you, don't feel the shame and guilt. Yeah. You're not alone in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from there, what happens next? Um, yeah, I go into a detox. Then about a day into the detox, the same girl that like I'd overdosed with walks in there. And I'm like, it's that Spider-Man meme moment. Of like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, so we're like, we're sitting in there about three or four days later. And like, I go in there thinking like, hey, this is a detox. And they're handing me like six, seven pills every couple hours. Like, yeah, I came here to get off of drugs. Not take more. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm like, you know, bump this. I'm leaving. And they're like, you're leaving against medical advice. I'm like, good, good. I, I don't care. I'm leaving. Because I had already been told that Brian had accepted me at Hope is Live. So I, I was like, you know, I'm going into Hope is Live. I don't need this. This detox is not for me. So I... You know, going to Hope is Live January 27th. At first, it was a little rocky. I wasn't real sure what the uh, what sober living was or anything about it was. Um, but then we ended up having a program manager from Oklahoma come out there named Luke Armstrong. Okay. And uh, he completely, completely, like, turned my, my view on it, like, opened myself to it. Yeah, I think anybody who knows Luke knows that he just brings this energy with him that is just like unlike anything you've ever experienced yeah yeah and like for sunday meetings you know not that they're dreary or down or anything like that but before we start eating i've noticed here in oklahoma they start doing start to do a slow clap in or mm-hmm. roaring let's go come on yeah and we never had that before yeah so to see this guy like come in from oklahoma literally like 15 20 minutes before our Sunday night meeting and just like gathered everybody up like, Hey, I'm Luke. Come to the kitchen. It's like, <laughs> let's get jacked. Yeah. Like who does this guy think he is? <laughs> you, what? You just got here and yeah. now you're going to like start ruling us around. And then he's like slow clapping in and just seeing his energy. Yeah. And like, I'm like, man, there's something about this cat. Like I like I'm contagious. St- yeah. I'm going to stick around. Like I like this guy. I love hearing that. <laughs> Shout out to you, Luke, if you're listening. Yeah, Luke. And that's uh, something, that's a part of the reason we love telling these stories is you get fun little details like that. You know, you never really know who's watching you. Um, you know, you can be the difference in someone who might just be, have one foot out the door and you might be what brings them right back in, um, which is an opportunity you have now. Yeah. As we know. So I had the chance to meet you. In May. Inspiring lunch. For the Inspiring Lunch event. I remember yeah. me, me and some of the team here flew out there for the events. And uh, was that your first time speaking and telling your story? Yeah. Yeah. First time ever really t- telling my story. And the people at my table were from Harkers Island United Methodist Church. Okay. So to actually be able to tell my story about somebody or a group of people that are within the area that I grew up in was it's really humbling. That's amazing. And for those of you who don't know, Inspiring Lunch is a uh, springtime fundraiser that Hope is Alive does. Um, and we do it in North Carolina, Oklahoma City, uh, Kansas City, Tulsa, Wichita. It's a whole big thing. But that, yeah, that's awesome. And I remember you saying that that was 
the first time you had really sat down in public and, and shared your story. And it seems like things have just kind of gone up since then. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, um, you know, they, they speak a lot of like surrender versus compliance. Sure. But just completely like surrendering myself, surrendering myself to the idea of God and just what Jesus Christ is. It really opened myself up to it, being, being able to like devote myself uh, give my will and my life over to Jesus is just, you know, every single day is something further more than I could imagine. Yeah. It's like Ephesians 3, 320, he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you thought or imagined. That every time I put something in Christ and ask him, come like, on, like Christ, just, you know, whatever your will be, let it be done. And then he does that and exceedingly more that it's, um, I didn't see myself coming out here to Oklahoma and now I'm out here. Yeah. And now they gave me an internship That's and now amazing. I'm going to be able to go and help them open up more houses. And it's like, that is so good, bro. Eight months ago, if you'd asked me this, I don't know. I didn't even know how to spell Oklahoma eight months ago, <laughs> <laughs> let alone seeing myself in Oklahoma city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that, man. I'm actually uh, from Dallas myself <laughs> and uh, coming to Oklahoma in the first place was, I was like, what? Like Oklahoma. And then you get to Oklahoma city and you're like, this, this is actually pretty cool yeah <laughs> quite a bit to do here um well man so proud of you that's amazing um is there anything that you could say to somebody out there who could be still struggling or maybe you know the mom or dad of someone who's still struggling there are options it's hard at first but whatever dream aspiration you have you can do it you just have to have the willingness to in compliance and surrender to be able to give in to what you're battling Love that. Love that. Ethan Springle, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Hope Dealers podcast. Thank Uh, you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, man. We'll have to bring you back. If you're out there listening, you know, uh, be sure to leave us a five-star review, like, and subscribe. Make sure to share this podcast with anybody who you think might need to hear it. And thank you again, Ethan. Absolutely. And we'll see you guys later. This is the Hope Dealers podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back. Take my time, just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.